On this episode, we have PEI's most prominent developer, Tim Banks. Tim and his affiliated companies are currently in the process of building hundreds of homes and adding them to the PEI housing supply. In addition to Tim's many business and development achievements, one of the things I admire about Tim is his willingness to open himself up to criticism by engaging in conversations on important topics on PEI with a particular emphasis on housing. One of the big ironies is that Tim often gets a lot of pushback from affordable housing advocates, yet Tim may arguably be the person doing the most on PEI to fix the housing crisis by building up the supply side, including hundreds of affordable units. On this episode, we'll discuss the importance of development um, to build up the supply, uh, what gets things built, unintended consequences of certain well-meaning government interventions, how to maintain and build vitality in our communities on PEI and any other topic that we veer into. You're listening to Chattel Fixers PEI Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, David Cyrus McDonald, and welcome the one and only Tim Banks. Thank you, David. Uh, pleasure to be here uh, speaking about housing on uh, PEI in general mm-hmm. and uh, look forward to the discussion. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Um, so maybe first... Is the, you know, uh, what people are calling the housing crisis, I think fairly in a lot of ways, is is this a solvable issue? Uh, it's always a solvable issue if people want to work together mm-hmm. to see that uh, things happen. And uh, the unfortunate part of it, uh, it's like the perfect storm, mm-hmm. um, interest rates, um material costs, mm-hmm. labor force, mm-hmm. and then the politics yeah. of, of the regime related to the red tape. Right. And um, there are four, four big things to overcome. Mm-hmm. There, to, to my uh, thinking that it, we're really in a housing crisis, mm-hmm. uh, an emergency crisis. Right. And um, I think that uh, the only way to really solve it is for the province to step up and take over some of the authorities with respect to the Planning Act. Oh, okay. And uh, it was interesting, um, uh, Rob Lance uh, mm-hmm. in the news uh, yesterday, yeah. speaking about going up uh, as opposed to going out. Uh, I've been advocating that for 40 years. Mm-hmm. I've attended so many meetings uh, related to, you know, it's cheaper to build up, mm-hmm. and uh, it uh, keeps our island... Um, um, closer together in, in the communities that were built and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stops uh, urban sprawl. Right. And uh, uh, so I think there, there are lots of solutions, but mm-hmm. the, the solutions have to be people working together and it has to be people forgetting about, you know, wh- whether it's in their backyard or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all live here right. and we all have to work together. Yeah, what do you th- why do you think it is that there's resistance to to going up? <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but there are people who really think that they can't see over the buildings. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've gone to so many meetings, mm-hmm. and and I, and I I can't answer that question. I have no idea. I I I'm, I'm puzzled. It's, right. It's uh, 
if if you can build four stories high, 39 feet or whatever, right. the, you're compromising each level of the floor because you can only have eight foot ceilings. The marketplace now with the way you know people have grown and kids are six foot four now and six foot five, they, they, they're more comfortable with nine foot ceilings. And, right. uh, and uh, for some reason, uh, whenever you talk about going up, there's always... Uh, a gang that, uh, particularly in the downtown, right? Uh, that, for some reason, I, I, I don't know, the shadowing of the building and the streetscape, four feet or four stories high versus one ten stories high, no different from one side of the street, right? To the other. Particular yeah. with that amount of width, yeah, right. It's going to yeah. still. So it's uh, it it it's puzzling, um, and and it's unfortunate because. Uh, in Canada, we have, uh, and, and in North America, for that matter, the last five years, uh, there's uh, a term called flight to the core. Right. And essentially, what that means is that um, cities, their downtowns, mm -hmm. are, are booming. Yeah, um, right. Go to Halifax. Uh, uh, if you were there 10 years ago and you, you walk through downtown Halifax today, you would... Um, you wouldn't recognize oh, yeah, a lot totally. of them. I mean, go down to Argyle Street, you know, for example. All over the place. Over and the place, yeah. uh, basically what's happened in that market, in the HRM, uh, is that it's outpaced the the outside HRM uh, from a number of new units. Right. Here in the city of Charlottetown, uh, below Euston Street, I think the statistic is for every one unit that's been built below Euston Street, which is the downtown, uh, there's been 27 units built outside of uh, Houston Street. Right. And that is a dynamic or a, a number that should tell our political leaders that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry to interrupt. We got a dog barking in the background. I think not mine. It's, okay. it's not your dog. It's not your dog. Um, <laughs> but I get accused for it. Somebody you, in Twitter be saying, oh, that's his dog. That's his dog. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> Tim and his dogs. Uh, um, yeah. Wow. So 27 uh, north of Houston Street at, for every one uh, in the downtown core, area, yeah. downtown core. And so. Um, and that was basically brought brought in with, with what's called this 500 lot yeah. uh, zoning bylaws that really prevent developers from really being able to tackle a project down there. And in any other city, be it Moncton or uh, Halifax or St. John or whatever, um, we have competitors. Yeah. In fact, there's in the Halifax market, there's 25 Tim Banks's. Right. And there's... I have no competitors here. Right. And uh, my lawyer once said to me when I was looking at, uh, you know, getting annoyed at the city, he said, uh, if it was easy, you know, if it was easy, there'd be competition, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And um, so all of those who've come over, a uh, guy comes over, he buys the Guardian building, he's going to put a couple of floors on it, he's going to do hell and all. And when he really gets down and looks at the constraints that he's stuck with within the bylaws in the city, he just can't develop the property the same way as he's been doing in the Halifax marketplace. Right. So he yeah. has experience elsewhere. He's bringing it here. He's going to be increasing the housing supply and he, he stumbles into the same thing that other people stumble into like, Oh wow. Yeah, this oh is, wow. <laughs> this is, this is not easy. And it's not easy. 
And, yeah. if it, and if it was easy, as my lawyer said, everyone would be doing it. And listen, I'm the first guy that loves competition. Yeah. L- competition makes my company better. Right. Because we get up every day and we have to be ahead of our competition. Mm-hmm. And if I have no competition, we get slack. Right. And I don't want to be slack. Yeah. I, I want competition. Right. But you can't get it in this marketplace. One of the things I've noticed with the, um, I mean, I feel like your name might be the name that gets in the media the most on PEI or one of the top in terms of. Well, it, it, it does. If you you want to look at a Twitter you know, yeah. s- scramble going on there. Yeah. But if it's CBC coming to talk to a developer about development, yeah, uh, they'll end up talking to some guy that's built one building and they call him a developer. Right. And they don't really, they're scared to ask the tough questions. Right. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part. But anyway, I don't need to be and don't want to be in the media all the time. I just want to do good for my community. Yeah. Uh, we live here. And we're proud of what we built here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, if somebody wants to go point out a project that we didn't deliver uh, to the extent that we said we would in the first place, I, I'd be very surprised. Right, right. So, and I've uh, I've seen you push back on things. So, you, sort of a lot of people that whenever there's pushback comes on them, you know, the temptation is, is kind of the wind flows this way, just kind of fall over and say, okay, I'm out of here. Whereas... You, I, I don't know how it's how you've kind of learned this skill, or or if it's something you've always had. But you uh, appear, at least from my perspective, to to not be afraid to push back and say, "Hey, listen, this is uh, this is the way I see it. If we don't get the, this is what's blocking us from getting this done, and you rep- letting people know on Twitter, this is what's preventing this from happening, <clears throat> and pushing it back, and then the project." Uh, seems to get done. If you didn't have that pushback, if you didn't have that tenacity, do you think that these projects would get done? Well, I was reminded uh, on a walk last night about Ed Sheraton, um, who fought back on somebody on the copyright, the, the singer. Oh, okay. And uh, I think it oh, was Ed a, Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think mm. he said this. Is that I think it was Marvin Gaye's uh, estate was suing him. They were suing him, and but but what the issue was, I think, really boiled down to his grandmother or someone in his family died, and he couldn't go to the funeral, and it really hurt him. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the reason he couldn't go is he couldn't let those people get away with what they were trying to say, mm-hmm. because then it would be just a whole bunch of people being able to. To do the same thing and there'd be you know so he fought it all the way it cost him a lot of money right and i think at the end they they were there was some kind of compromise but uh, he did win right and uh and um um it would have been uh, uh how, how do i say it would have cost him a lot less to just do nothing just, yeah right but it wouldn't have set the background so for mm-hmm. me um I'm going to push back mm-hmm. when I believe there's some common sense to what we're doing and what we're doing is good for the community because I have to show the guys that are coming behind me, the young guys, mm-hmm. that, look, you just don't have to accept uh, of, uh, what somebody tells you. If mm-hmm. it makes sense, then you should try to tackle it and try to, to get it done. And I mm-hmm. learned that lesson when I was very young, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it... It's been instilled in me, and and uh, unfortunately, some people think I'm a little too aggressive. And mm-hmm. what can I say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you how do you uh, reconcile that when there are 
haters. I mean, probably most of them is people kind of hiding behind a screen name on Twitter. And but it, oh, there's a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I call them out, and yeah. if it gets crazy, I just block them. And yeah, and, you know, I don't need to. I've got lots of stuff to do with my day, and yeah, of, well, you sit must there and and work on a Twitter account. Yeah, actually, well, I mean, speaking of lots of things to do, I mean, uh, you know, owner of APM, but I was, it was funny, I was trying to do research on what all companies you're in, and I just was like, okay, I give up. I, <laughs> I don't <laughs> Well, look, I, I really do enjoy what we do, mm-hmm. and I do really enjoy people who work for us. They're really mm-hmm. my team. They're my, my company, and uh, so... When we're going to war and something, I, I got some great soldiers behind me, mm, and, right? Uh, some some people with some real depth and right. some real experience, and uh, and uh, so and, and that's important in er- anything you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you got to have you got to have a team, and uh, I'm I'm pretty proud of ours. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been it's been going for for quite a while now. Actually, thinking back, it's interesting to see how. You know, I would say from my perspective, and you would have a much deeper understanding of this, but it seemed like the talk, you know, considering uh, things to be a housing crisis, the talk of that really sort of hit a fever pitch in, say, 2019, starting in maybe 2018, around there. But in 2015 or so, uh, vacancy rates were around 8% in Charlottetown, right? Yes. What was it like to be a developer then? There is so much opportunity here, and uh, it's always in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. So um, we talk about interest rates today. Um, my business is 43 years old, and uh, for over half of it, the interest rate, rates were well above 5%. Right. And uh, you, you have to uh, work within the framework that you're working in. Mm-hmm. and uh, But... Uh, I had a, um, I'm one of the founding directors of uh, Killam Properties mm-hmm. and uh, gained a lot of experience there in, in that marketplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when times are uh, uh, like 8% vacancy, you just have to make sure that the projects you pick and the investments you do make sense. Mm-hmm. But there, there's still lots of opportunity. Yeah. And... PEI traditionally, in a lot of ways, have been always a few years behind on on something happening. I think we all know that, and I'm not saying you know that's uh, something against us. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that. So, for example, in the housing market, in apartments, mm-hmm. um, in the Halifax marketplace, in 215, the Class A buildings with parking garages and those kind of things were probably in the Twenty percentile. Oh. We're here in the Charlottetown market. We we're at the five percentile. Oh, okay. So there was that deficiency. Mm-hmm. So if you came to the marketplace in two fifteen, you had to recognize that maybe I should be building buildings with parking garages, right? Because they seem to be where the marketplace is going in other markets. Mm. And uh, so now it, um, that that's a big feature. Our, mm. our new building that we we just opened in. Sherwood has a parking garage. Right. And uh, there's 39 units there. And before occupancy, uh, we had them all rented out. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And and so, I mean, the parking garage, that adds, that's a lot more expensive for parking than 
a parking lot. Yeah, it's a bigger investment, but yeah. uh, in the long term, you're going to get your return. If you're going into the apartment business, you have to look at it that it's not a short-term venture. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's something that you get your return over 15 to 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so if you have to invest into a parking garage, you have to, the numbers have to make sense. And, yep. and uh, But there is uh, there was a bit of pent-up demand here for that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, that's an example of what you would do in a, in a, in a market where there's big vacancy, mm -hmm. you try to find the type of vacancy that's deficient. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So you're still navigating it and your team's still actively out doing it. You're not sitting back and saying, well, some people are doing really, because I mean, if it's 8% vacancy rate, it's not like every place is 8% vacant. Exactly. There'd be some places that would have dramatic vacancy and yeah. some places that would yeah. be just exactly. completely filled. So, um, yeah, I mean, okay, so we talked a little bit about supply in the intro and you're building supply. I feel like a lot of the discussion around um, housing inventory and housing uh, pricing from um, the housing, uh, from the rental market perspective has been around the cost of housing. But um, it seems that... Uh, there has been there's been definitely some talk about kind of the economics of supply and demand, but that seems to take a backseat in some cases. Can you explain in a way that that any audience member would understand the value of uh, how by increasing uh, the supply of housing in the market that might help uh, kind of down the line create um, affordable affordable housing opportunities? I, I can do it by talking about you know going out to a car dealership during the pandemic to buy a truck mm -hmm. and uh, they didn't have any trucks. Mm -hmm. There was short in supply. Yep. So when you got one, some of the people were paying over retail for them. There was mm -hmm. no discounting. Mm -hmm. Pre-pandemic, you were getting ten to $12,000 discounts on these trucks. Mm -hmm. So now that the market has come back and you can drive out to the local dealership and find 30 or 40 trucks in the marketplace, all of a sudden, you're seeing compression on the discounts. Mm -hmm. You know, the prices have gone up on them mm -hmm. uh, because prices have gone up, but the competition component of it pushes the price back down. Yeah, exactly. And that's the same as if we had an over, if we were in an 8% marketplace here today, I'd be given three months and four months free rent and I'd be doing finding ways to right. get occupancy. Right. So the only way to do that is to lower price so that it's competition. Mm -hmm. And so the unfortunate part, these housing advocates for affordable housing don't understand that, that mm -hmm. you know, the more housing that comes into the marketplace, the, the compression is going to push the price down. Yeah, and I think often too, like where, say, say if you have a body that comes in, and whether it be the government or like a housing co-op or something like that, and they yeah. acquire housing, that doesn't actually change the supply of housing in the marketplace. Versus, uh, if there's new housing built, that increases the supply. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So the the thing about it is, is that you know whether it's high end or low end or whatever it is, the more housing more competition mm -hmm. the, the more landlords are are doing two things is they're focused on their price and focused on their repairs and service mm -hmm. and uh, when they're not uh, making any money uh, uh, they're not going to you know fix their roofs and they're not going to maintain their buildings mm -hmm. to the extent that they need to do that so yeah and yeah. then if we had a high degree of uh, high amount of 
supply, you know, it's probably not an immediate, but you can imagine the knock on effect of someone being like, Ooh, that place is nicer. I'm going to move there. And if I could get that for say the same price, I'll move over there. And then that person is left with that vacant place. And they're yeah. like, Oh wait, our place costs more than that nicer place. And there's more other options for people to have. How are we going to get people in here? Well, they're going to, they're going to upgrade yeah. and they're going to lower the price. Yeah. And, and that, that, you know, that's what they're going to do. That's what the market dictates. Yeah. We're pretty far from that now though, in terms of the supply, we just have such an influx of population and the development seems to be, I mean, you're building hundreds of places, but that would be, that's kind of a rare exception in a lot of ways. Like, um, how do we, how is it even possible to, well, I, I, I think the thing about it is, is we have to build them because, you know, I have businesses that are looking for, uh, we're trying to expand those businesses. For example, our, uh, store mark, our fixturing company, mm-hmm. we, we built a new plant. Uh, we have to get new workers. We've got new CNC machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we have to get people who are trained in them from away to come back to, to come and run them. And mm-hmm. we have to have housing for them. Right. And it's as simple as that. And I'm not the only business in town that, that is doing that, you mm-hmm. know, people, people grow and, and, and businesses grow. And mm-hmm. to do that, we, we're going to have growth. And then the other thing we're seeing in the marketplace is this driven people who've been away from our province, who were born here and went away and built their careers and have sold their homes. And th- this is a safe community, Prince Edward Island. Mm-hmm. They want to come back and, mm-hmm. and they want to live here. And, uh, and, they don't all want to live out in the, you know, on the shore or whatever. Mm. Some of them are comfortable with downtown Charlottetown if if they had the right amenities in their building. Yeah, up to the standards that they they've been used to living in, in other cities. Yeah, and unfortunately, we're we're stuck in this pyramid of of heritage or something. I don't I don't know. Yeah, and then what do you think of the rent freeze? <laughs> yeah, I. What or I how can we explain that in a way, how can you explain that in a way that anybody, yeah, like would understand maybe because there's uh, the, on the surface, it's like, okay, freeze the rents. Great. Rents don't go up. Um, so renters, maybe they say, yay. What are the unintended consequences? Well, I've been dealing with some situations where people, smaller landlords are coming to me now. And in one case, a, a, a group have a 16 units. And, um, so last year they lost money and, uh, now they have to renew their mortgage and their mortgage payment is up like 80%. And now they're going to lose more money mm-hmm. and, uh, their insurance is up like 22%. And, and, uh, so they're under pressure and, uh, and the mortgage lender, uh, being the banks are looking at Prince Edward Isle and they're saying, geez, you know. Are we going to lend into a marketplace that uh, is not, you know, giving a reasonable return of investment into, you know, investors that want to be in that discipline? Mm-hmm. So I think in the short term, it's going to cause problems, but uh, just going to get worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Traditionally, in the other nine provinces, Canada, you have a market turnover. Yeah. Uh, somebody vacates your premises on their own accord, then generally the landlord brings it back up to market price. Mm-hmm. And if they do that within reason, the market accepts it and moves on. Yeah. But here to, to be stuck at a, a fixed rate and to 
be stuck at an operating rate where it's cost most landlords uh, about 8% more to operate, like 8% more than previous year, and they get 0%. Mm-hmm. Not, not, a, not a very good number. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's kind of like a, a very blunt kind of thing. It's like, no, from wherever you happen to be in rent price, regardless of, of what it was, like what the rationale for it being that rent price, you know, I know people that didn't raise their rent for, you know, decade plus, and they were just, you know. They're caught. And yeah, and yeah. they're stuck. Stuff, yeah. And um, and then I, you know, I talked to uh, people who say, well, this isn't going to work this way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it out of the rental market and I'm going to turn it into a condo. Um, and then that gives them potentially an opportunity uh, to get it, their equity out. to get their equity out. Yeah, exactly. But then that decreases the supply in the rental market. Yeah, that's uh, true. What's that? that? That's very true. And and it can and it can displace the current residents. Um, uh, but I mean, if people are underwater and they're looking for a way to get out, then it's like, it's like logical that that would be yeah. the decision that people when, would when make. You, when you got a loser. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to be like, Oh wait, all of a sudden there's a solution here. Yeah. Um, uh, so again, <laughs> one of these unintended consequences. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And I, I think where it came from it is, you know, we had these three party system in our, in our politics. Yeah. And everyone went to the left of everything and you know each party is talking about landlords needing to have you know cats and dogs in their homes and people not understanding that you know these oh i'm sure you've had some cat stories i've had i i've done a really small scale and i had a nightmare cat story you know we do the best (laughs) to work with with our tenants yeah and you have to do the best but you can't just set a set of rules where you're going to allow dogs and cats into somebody's investment then they terrorize it and they you know you have to replace the carpets and door frames and doors and just beyond the pale eh? yeah and then you got other neighbor or you you got other tenants within the building that are scared of those uh those pets and yeah, chose to live in a place that was pet. Yeah, uh, and so free, it, yeah. so so this is what the politicians were focused on. By the way, both of us have dogs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But no, uh, and, and listen, I'm you know I'm I'm a big supporter. Yeah. Uh, but again, it has to be within reason, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the landlord has to have the discretion to what he has to do. And so they're in the house and they're bringing forward these you know, changes to the that rental affect act. everybody. That affect everybody. And, and just like a, like a like kind blanket of a thing. Blanket when they thing, should, just when like, they, when, but they don't show up when you're trying to get a building permit and yeah. you're at a public meeting and, and they're not there. They're yeah. not there saying, this is a good idea. Let's put our hand up. We're going to support it. And, and they're it, not there. And it can seem like, I think oh, it can God. seem like to yeah. people that, um, it can seem they're to people. Point de Roche, you know, well, take, no, they're out yeah, there chasing, point to rush, cha- yeah. uh, chasing away, you know, a summer resident who yeah. wants to invest in our community yeah. that gets us a tax base to help our healthcare system. Yeah. That's what they want to do. They want to make a movie of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Craziness. Yeah, I, I did. I, I actually, I followed the link to the Point to Rosh website that yeah. you put up and it is an interesting story because I had seen the first side. I was like, and my first impression was like, oh, come on. They like took over the beach here. Like that's unfair. And then I went to the website and was like, oh. They actually cleaned it up and and now have less of the beach 
Yeah. And they got rid of kind they're, of the putting a walking to path the story. Over, yeah, there's more to the story, and they're putting a wa- walking path over the top of it. The same as I did twenty. I did two o three. I put rip rap in front of my cottage. Yeah. And today, three or four hundred people a day go over the top of my rip rap, and they walk and enjoy the beach. Right. And I don't chase them off or do anything like that. It's you yeah, know, it's fair game. Uh, I hope they. I love everybody enjoying our island. But, yeah. But to stand out there. And you know, chase people away from PEI when we got a housing crisis. Yeah, and somebody's trying to build a house. And it wasn't that long ago where conversations around rural revitalization, people were scared, especially yeah. in rural communities, yeah. of saying, "Listen, we have an aging population. Yeah. We need uh, people here who are going to work. We need people who are going to support the economy, pay taxes, because yeah. healthcare stuffs, you know, expenses are going to go up. That kind of thing." <laughs> and now we've got kind of the uh, that uh, there's been a, some relief to that, yeah. um, but then at the same time we have this kind of crunch of okay now we have to figure this out, and I think there's a, a temptation often to kind of villainize. Well, it's an ir- ironic thing I mentioned early on where it's like you take a lot of heat and you're you're comfortable with kind of standing up to that heat, while at the same time you may be the single person doing the most in terms of solving uh, the housing crisis so it's a it's a it's an ironic thing isn't it like that pushback yeah it's it's hard to believe some days uh, there's a particular group called uh housing pei yeah i saw you replying to their tweets oh my god almighty they've never showed up at a meeting they've never met uh, from you know they've never met with me or any other developer but they right. want to they want to tear us apart Right. And they don't want to find a solution. So how many units have they been building? <laughs> oh, I shouldn't be laughing. Oh, like, seriously. I, <laughs> yeah, I, should, I, yeah. I, I want to, I want to work with these people. Yeah, I want right. to work with everybody. Uh, you know, we live here and, uh, we, we want to do good and, you know, you get into that stupid politics mm-hmm. of a social media Christ. I, I, I drive a nice car. Next mm-hmm. thing I know, you know, I shouldn't have the car. I should have Turned it into a, an apartment, I guess. I yeah. Don't what know. do you think about that? What do you think about that? Where <laughs> I don't you know, think about it. I, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's an old story about uh, a guy in Mount Stewart who uh, owned the uh, owned most of Mount Stewart at one time, and and uh, um, insurance was coming in, and one of the locals was in the store one day and asked him, uh, you know, are you going to get any insurance? And he said, no, I don't think so. You know, he had everything paid for and whatever. And uh, I said to him, uh, well, you know, aren't you worried? He said it didn't cost him a thought, you know. Right. And it doesn't cost me a thought. They can abuse me as much as they want. I'm right. comfortable. Yeah. I, I work hard to invest in my community, and mm-hmm. I work hard to do good in my community. Yeah. And I work hard to work with my employees. Mm-hmm. I pay them a you know good wage yeah. above market wage right and uh i'm i'm good in my yeah. own skin and you know if if i want to drive a lamborghini i'll drive a lamborghini yeah yeah you know? do you still have the taycan uh Tay-can. porsche taycan uh no i have uh i i drive uh tesla now oh you do which yeah. which one do you have uh i have the tesla x oh uh, the model plaid. x oh plaid. the model x plaid that's yeah, a beautiful plaid. car it is a beautiful car but it's, <laughs> o- it's over getting service now oh is it in halifax yeah. but i'm driving my wife's y oh yeah. nice how yeah. are you enjoying the model y 
It's it it is without question one of the nicest cars on the planet. Yeah, it is a beautiful vehicle. I think it's the top selling car in the world now. Yeah, it's a beautiful vehicle. Yeah, and and uh, my wife was a little apprehensive uh, at first about mm-hmm. getting it, and uh, and she uh, went into a Tesla center when I was up getting uh, picking up mine, and she. So anyway, we bought one, and she drives it uh, the majority of the time. Yeah, against her other cars. So. Oh, probably yeah. with uh, with your dog. You probably love dog mode. If you do you use that, I love. Uh, listen, that's the reason I do not have the the Porsche. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in a different platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, Porsche are very. I uh, I, I forget the word, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they want to control everything. Right. Where. You know, in Elon's case, somebody asked him six or seven years ago about what you do about dogs in your car. And uh, his his response, look, I'll get back to you. And then two weeks later, every Tesla in the world had dog mode in their car. Yes. And uh, so I take my dog everywhere. And uh, as we get somewhere, uh, if, if, you know, if he's not going to jump all over the place and or if he's going to, then I'll leave him in the car and I hit dog mode. And you walk up to the car and the screen says, look, uh, don't worry about my dog. My owner's going to be back soon and it's 20 degrees. Yeah. And it sort of maintains the temperature, yeah. the oh, desirable it, thing, yeah. gives you a notification if the battery's getting low. Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 They're, they're way ahead of it. And we should oh, yeah. be that way with housing. Instead right. of in, in, in the same token, right. you know, we should be in. It, it's nice to see the province going with the... Uh, with the pre-built uh, in this in this climate here, and I think that in the future there's going to be more of that too. Right. Uh, but we have to develop that industry here as well. Yeah. And uh, and we took a crack at that years ago with our Roseneath homes. We should have followed through a little better. And, okay. And instead of doing it for cottages, we should have been looking at it, been a little more forward thinking. Um, However, there's uh, four or five good manufacturers in Atlantic Canada, and mm-hmm. uh, they could be part of the solution. Right, right. Yeah. That's a, It's interesting with that two-piece. You could get kind of an assembly line going, and hypothetically, there could be scale advantages in terms of cost. Is that right? Yes. And and do you find that to be the case? Well, uh, I, I'm not... I'm, they're not there yet, Yeah. but they're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And height and density are the two contributing factors to get efficiency mm-hmm. on price. Right. And uh, and then affordability on the material side of it. And they have mm-hmm. a little more control of that through the winter, be able to build them. Okay, yeah. And so I mean, that, that's, the, that's the other side of it that, you know, will help too. Right. And I suppose like just to break that down a little bit in terms of the, the kind of scale and height advantages where you're dealing with, I mean, even if you have a smaller footprint, that your land cost is less per unit just as one example, and then you're putting in one foundation to serve a greater number of units, and then you're bringing your, your, all of your transportation cost of your goods is going to one place instead of spread up. Your crew is working in one place. Yeah, like, it, look, there's just so many efficiencies. That yeah. it, it's unbelievable. There's a point, though, like once you go past, uh, in wood framing, you go then past you go to five steel. stories, you have to go to steel. And then you probably have to get up to a certain size before that starts to make sense. You need sense to get again. to about eight eight stories before it makes sense. And I and think that's, that's a, I think that's, that's, that's higher than the basilica. Uh, maybe Is not. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, um, but we have lots of eight and ten story buildings in the downtown core, mm-hmm. and there's no reason why there couldn't be another fifteen or twenty of them, and, mm-hmm. and, and still be a prosperous heritage city. Yeah. It, uh, you know. 
Yeah, how do you keep the vibe with that? I mean, is it like is that mainly the just vibe like is there now? It's yeah. going to stay. It's, it's going to stay. Nobody's yeah. going to knock down a heritage building to yeah. to put one of these up. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's just really, you know, we a perfect example of that is the Kays building, whereby you know we we purchased it. Uh, uh, engineers said it couldn't be restored. Yeah. Uh, we um, got a structural engineer from Amherst, uh, mm-hmm. Jim Giffith. Okay. Uh, and uh, we worked hard with them, and uh, we rebuilt the superstructure okay. and, uh, within the building, and then we added new building to the next of it, and, and build a whole block there. So right. you got the new, the old, all works. Right. And you walk down that streetscape, beautiful. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And there's no reason we couldn't, on the new part, gone six or eight stories. Wouldn't have made any difference. The Kays building is still there. People still go into the pizza place yep. and go into the coffee place and they look at the restoration and the yeah. framework and all that kind of Oh, it's thing. beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it is. And uh, there's no reason we couldn't continue to do this. But planners get involved and then they draw up these 500 lot uh, bylaws that just don't make any sense. Right. Yeah. Right. What's the solution to that? Like, like how does that, like how do people have a voice in, in encouraging that to allow, like positive well, I, I don't think what they, I don't, I, what they don't understand is on Richmond Street, for example, our little building next door to, to the condo building that was there. We built a four-story, 39-foot, eight-inch high building yeah. uh, with 23 units in it. And uh, uh, back in that day, it should have taken us 16 months to build it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the day we started to the day we put a tenant in, it took us five years. Ooh. We got appealed to Iraq twice, mm-hmm. and then the owners decided they would try a solution of going to the Supreme Court, the, the condo owners, mm-hmm. and uh, the, neighbors. The, the neighbors. And the day before that, uh, they withdrew at the Supreme Court, which then allowed us, and that was like three and a half years later. Right. And then prices went up, interest rates went up, construction costs went up, just and, and then we had to do it through the winter, and it was just... So our projected rent of $1,000 a, uh, a unit ended up about 1700 So it goes on the back of the tenant mm-hmm. because, you know, we can't lose money. But our mm-hmm. mortgage company expect us to pay the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the $1,700 that we charged there uh, at the same rate when we went to market, there was other new units in the downtown core that were built. There were $2,600. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're substantially below the market because it costs you a lot more to build in downtown. Yeah. Just because your footprint is more, and you know all the site and soil mm. conditions and the, the labor time it takes. You're out in a greenfield; things go up pretty quick. You know, right. you do tilt up in the walls and you do stuff. But mm. uh, when you're in downtown core, it costs you more. So mm. uh, and the land costs you more. Yeah. So everything is, you know. So you really have to go up to get the affordability to it. Yeah, and you can imagine too, like say if it was a developer who had just done a few houses and they're working their way up and this yeah. was their first kind of bigger project. Um, <laughs> I mean, this could completely destroy someone financially if they were doing that. I mean, they'd have to be, you know, imagine going back to their investors. It's like you don't have that experience. Like, I mean, presumably you were able to manage that. You have well, cash flow well, controls. You have your, you know. <laughs> it's still tough, you know. And, and you just have to deal with it uh, as it happens. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people say, well, we, we announce a new building. And uh, in the old days, we'd say, well, the rent's going to be so much and we book you for it. Mm-hmm. Today, we have no just we have no control over that. Mm-hmm. The building we just opened in Sherwood, 
on October or sorry on June the first of two twenty two we gave a purchase order for the elevator mm-hmm. and signed off on the shop drawings. Now typically uh, they would have that elevator up and running in four months, mm-hmm. and uh, the elevator got up and running on June the twenty sixth of two thousand twenty three. Oh, okay. Because they had yeah. to wait for a chip. Oh, just like they chain. do in a truck, you right. know. So it's the supply chain, mm-hmm. and nothing they could do about it. Nothing we could do about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that delay and that project—it's uh, a thirteen million dollar project or whatever the, right. the number is. Yeah, you run the interest on that alone. It it, it cost us close to a million dollars in overruns. Wow. Yeah. yeah million dollars and and you know i got some guy and you know he's got the little thing here calling us out because <laughs> our price is what it is yeah it's, it's kind of sad taxation on pei we got we have we there, there's a lot of taxes we pay where it's not pei in canada 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 that's the key to it and you know big liberal all my life um we're going in the wrong direction uh, um I think we really all we really have to sit back and look at the competitiveness of our country. Mm-hmm. So it's not just isolated to PEI; mm-hmm. um, it's a Canadian issue, mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we're taxed on everything. Yeah, and it's just getting worse and worse. And you know, what's uh, the problem with that? I mean, obviously, it's we have to pay more for things. <laughs> I, I I don't have the solutions. What do you think? Do you, do you have so like, do you know I think, where you would, you would reduce I know what the spending? I, would, I, I know what I do on the housing front. Right. It's Alec Campbell back in the day when he came in with the development plan. Uh, we Our tax was like 8 or 9% or 10% or something like that. And he forgave tax on new homes. Right. He said, gone. Going to do it for a year or two. No tax. Jeez, yeah. there's more new homes on the go than you could shake a stick at because right. everybody figured it out that look, that's sort of the down payment we need. Let's figure out how we're going to get this done. They got 95% mortgages from CMHC. Right. So here uh, you build an apartment building, you pay 15%. HST. It's a big deal and you get back, you know, you might get back 6% of it. I don't know what the number is. Right, but yeah. There's, there's a big number there that they could forgive just to get the boom going. Right, right. So that that's a quick, quick action. That's they a could quick take. action, yeah. Well, Tim, I'm not going to take any more of your time. I, uh, I, we covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about. I just, uh, thanks so much for making time here. No and, problem. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Okay, great. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure.